Okay, welcome back. Thank you for being here. Uh, today I want to continue a deeper discussion and conclusion of uh, Brahmana Dhamika Sutta. Uh, this is the ninth, uh, I'm sorry, the seventh Sutta in the second chapter, Chulavaga, of Sutta Nipata, 71 suttas in the collection. Last time we went through in depth um, Brahmana, Brahmana, Brahmana Dhamika Sutta. Brahmana, the A is long, Bra, Brahmana, Brahmana Dhamika Sutta, which is sort of the Dhamma, the Dhamma of the Brahmins, um, the ways of the Brahmins, translated by Tanasaro as Brahman principles. What I want to, the reason that I want to uh, carry it on this week and um, explain in a little bit more depth. Um, just a second. Somebody said they can't open a link. Well, the last link, the last thing I sent was not a link, but before it, the Dhamma Talks is a link, and so it just opened for me. Um, so <clears throat> the reason I want to uh, explain this further is that um, the, while this sutta <clears throat> is discussing how the Brahmins fell over time, it actually has a relationship to the history of human religions, to the path of individual development over multiple lifetimes, and then down deep to the very process in mind by which we create or sustain distortion. And so the fall of the Brahmins <clears throat> is uh, a stand-in ultimately for the fall of mind from love and light into distortion and illusion and harmful patterns. And that's <laughs> an interesting linkage. Uh, what we see here in the sutta um, was Gautama asking, uh, Gautama being asked by some elderly, older, accomplished Brahmins, uh, are we, our community of Brahmins, at present living in conformity with the principles of the ancient members of our group or the ancient Brahmins? And very straight out, Gautama says, no, you're, you're not living in conformity with those ancient principles. The, when when we're saying Brahman principles, it's from the title Brahman principles, which is Brahmana Brahmana Dhamika. So you people in the community, he's saying, are not living in line with Brahmana Dhamika anymore, and the righteous way of Brahman life, which he respected um, quite quite rightly and didn't see as any inferior, or didn't see really as problematic. Um, and you get really... Um, Gautama was not uh, against... He, he wasn't sectarian to the degree that he would say that ours is the only way. He um, is at best, I think, or, or I think essentially... Uh, proclaiming universal principles, uh, the principles by which we either go up or we go down. We either uh, have rebirth in higher dimensions um, and um, freedom from suffering and ignorance and harmfulness, or one uh, creates opposite karmic seeds or, or establishes uh, negative karmic seeding and ends up going to states of woe, or more illusion, more distortion, more pain, more trouble in future lives. And so, the whole of Buddha Dhamma, different than Brahmana Dhamma, is um, it's not essentially it's not it's not essentially different, uh, but it's all what is to our long-term welfare and benefit. And so, there, the ancient Brahmins were praised because they were austere restrained in mind, uh, not um, attached to physical, emotional, mental, social, worldly um, grasping or greed, 
and that's called practicing for their own benefit and had study as their wealth meaning it's a it's sort of a, a yana yogi path the path of um, study that leads to greater freedom but not necessarily complete and perfect enlightenment and that's where Gautama would say that um, the his Buddha Dhamma proclaiming nirvana or um, an end to reincarnation, an end to becoming, an end to the thirst for becoming, um, is different than the Brahmana Dhamma, not Bra- Dhamika, but the Brahmana Dhamma or the Dhamma or the law, the teaching of the Brahmins, uh, was of study and particularly um, there's an interesting line here Brahmins of old praxis, practiced the search for knowledge and conduct well clearly what are you searching for conduct searching for action You're, they were searching for right knowledge or truth and right conduct right this right conduct is ultimately sila Shila Samadhi Prajna, the first three, the, the three foundations of the entirety of Buddha Dhamma or Buddha Path, uh, Shila, virtue, morality, ethics, is conduct, right conduct, right speech, right action, right livelihood. That's conduct. And the second knowledge is both study, they had study as their wealth, um, and some degree of gnosis. However, it's not clear to, the, to what degree. Um, any other yogi or meditator can um, come to the root knowledge that that uh, Gautama provided. The root knowledge, basically, uh, coming out as um, uh, the teaching of the three marks, the three characteristics: anicca, anatta, dukkha, impermanence, in, meaning changeableness anatta, or no self, or insubstantiality of all apparent solidity or substantial objects, meaning me too, meaning I'm not a solid self, or a separate solid enduring self, nor are objects um, as substantial as they appear, because they're always changing, and there's a certain fundamental emptiness to their nature, and and dukkha, so anicca, anatta, dukkha, this is proclaimed by Gautama and no one else. Uh, everybody, every other religion is certainly talking about getting out of suffering to some degree. Don't go to hell, go to heaven. Don't be punished by Allah or whatever. Uh, go to heaven, uh, be a good religion, you know, religionist. Be a good follower of the religion. You go to heaven, you don't go to hell. And um, that's a very static notion of uh, one lifetime. The Abrahamic religions, right? Judaism... Christianity, Islam, uh, underst- uh, acknowledging the knowledge <laughs> with the knowledge of supreme creator or God and higher dimensions or higher a higher dimension called heaven and the uh, continuance of soul or being or uh, an idea of soul and a continuance of our awareness and a lower realm called hell um, but no reincarnation, and ultimately not a very clear cosmology of multidimensionality in the Abrahamic religions. Hinduism has a very, a very thick cosmology, um, not really uh, in opposition to the Buddhist uh, cosmology of thirty-one planes, which, as I've talked about endlessly, fits the seven dimensions of the raw material cosmology very well. So. Hinduism, I think, has a more developed view than the Abrahamic religions, for sure. Talking about reincarnation, talking about seven chakras, talking about the, the uh, long-term development, uh, multi-incarnational, reincarnational, multi-dimensional path of being's evolution. Buddhism says that, too. The difference is that Gautama, proclaiming the three characteristics basically said that there's no ultimate freedom or happiness or release uh, or salvation, mukti, moksha, liberation, in any, um, in any uh, mind-based experience, including uh, blissful states, 
including experiences of unity. So Gautama, um, I mean, you know, this is way beyond the sutta, but it's the basis actually, because Gautama was um, much um, respecting and appreciative and laudatory, lauding, praising the old Brahmins. But uh, it was understood, I think, that there were certain limitations to their tradition. That's why he was talking about uh, practicing the search for knowledge and conduct. They got knowledge, and they were ethical and moral and harmless, ahimsa, and uh, very much in morality, in uh, right morality, uh, but they didn't have release. And so there's a difference between conduct and knowledge and release. Conduct leads to the basis for meditation that leads to knowledge. We're just talking about, we're talking about knowledge of true nature, or knowledge of reality, or knowledge of creation, or knowledge of the path. That's not the same yet as release. And um, they were seeking some kind of, I mean, who knows exactly what. Um, Brahmanism 2,500 years ago is not the same as Advaita Vedanta today. So, uh, people like uh, Ramana Maharshi or um, Shan, uh, Adi Shankara talking about mm, merger in the Supreme Self or something, or freedom from self as uh, the One Self, uh, that's not necessarily what people were thinking 2,500 years ago, the Brahmins. I'm not sure they were thinking that way or what. But Gautama would consider that um, stopping at, at one of the formless dimensions and not going all the way out of the octave or not going all the way to complete and perfect extinguishing of desire and uh, illusion and that even those higher states have suffering and so this is um, you know a deep level I think analysis of a comparison between Buddhism and Hinduism or Buddhism and Brahmanism where to a large degree, their understanding of conduct, their understanding of, of what is, is very similar. Their knowledge and conduct are comparable. But I think Buddhism talks about a release in a way, uh, from Gautama's perspective, um, the Hindus couldn't achieve by their by limitations in their knowledge, meaning seeking to unite with the Supreme Self which is not essentially different than uh, going to eighth density and being of the logos, returning to the logos. Um, while that uh, may be well understood by somebody like Nityananda or Ramana Maharshi, uh, it's not necessarily understood by Brahmins who may well be seeking to stay in high states, just like Gautama met the four teachers before he became completely before he left them all they were basically teaching him the higher jhanas and saying that's the ultimate attainment and that's release what it isn't from Gautama's perspective because they're basically impermanent states and um, the craving for becoming hasn't been extinguished or a craving for non-becoming and so that's very <laughs> deep level high level stuff and craving for becoming or craving for non-becoming is ultimately some kind of um, taking as substantial what's insubstantial. And it's not having finished breaking the last three fetters, eight, nine, ten, conceit, or some essential sense of a separative self, separative subjectivity, essential sense of subjectivity. I'm subject, you're object. I'm in here, you're out there. I am the light, I am not not the light, meaning uh, in sixth density is unified self, but there's still a sense of self. It's just that self in sixth density uh, is understood as unity, meaning um, the entirety of light of the octave. But there is something prior to the octave. <laughs> That's called the logos. Or before the octave, there was the logos with its three principles. And so, uh, I think Gautama would say, if I can be so presumptive, um, that those four teachers were teaching him the higher jhanas that they had thought were 
the end of the path and moksha that he came to see are not are just high states uh, associated with formless formless realms uh, arupa loka six and seven density type um, states uh, of of mind but uh, the conceit of uh, subjectivity remained and some essential restlessness in the seven chakra totality of of being uh, personal being remained and therefore some basic ignorance remained because they were still um, experiencing um, the creation, not the creator. He wouldn't say it that way, but they were still experiencing that which was uh, luminal, not supra-luminal, or that which is of light, that which is of vibration, not that which gave birth to vibration. All right, so if you're still... you're still around. <laughs> um, what what I wanted to <laughs> that's the introduction. What I wanted to just simply connect is the Brahmins fell, and Bhikkhu Bodhi last time in uh, his write up of Sutta Nipata explained the the golden age, the initial fall, the deeper fall, and then after the fall. It's really uh, the uh, deeper fall and after the fall. Um, are quite similar. The deeper fall um, is fully explained after the fall was not so fully explained in the sutta. After the fall (laughs) is called going to the lower realms or reborn in hell. Reborn in hell, reborn as a hungry ghost, and staying repeating in third density for a long time. But that process by which the so-called golden age Brahmins who um, sincerely um, practice for their own benefit and sincerely practice the search for knowledge and conduct and lived with right conduct and uh, some degree of uh, great knowledge. Um, the way they fell is the same way all the religions on earth fell. And the re- uh, it, Buddhism fell down later too, you know. And meaning the, what befell the Brahmins, or the fall of Golden Age Brahmanism, is not essentially different than the fall of uh, Buddha Dhamma. Gautama predicted it. He said um, it'll happen about a thousand years after his departure, and about 500 years AD, or a thousand years after his departure, physically. Um, we're we're deep in the amalgamation of Buddhism and Hindu Shaivism, Shaivism, Shiva worship. And then you get this deification of Bodhisattva. And then you get the whole fanciful Mahayana with gods and goddesses and uh, taking on Chinese characteristics. And then you've got Vajrayana Lamaism talking about wrathful deities and internalizing entities and using magical power and um, Vajra wrath and all sorts of things and the Lama as Buddha. No, no, <laughs> no monk would ever call himself, no, no Arahant near Gautama would say he's a Buddha. The Buddha is the Buddha. It's not just an Arahant, it's a certain function in a world cycle, the appearance of a Buddha that gives rise to the title Buddha. The Buddha is the title used for the appearance of a being who can lead, uh, who shows the way beyond the octave or to complete and perfect enlightenment for a world during a certain world period like a world teacher. Like, I think Yeshua was a different type of world teacher, but also a world teacher. Not every Lama is a world teacher. Not every Chinese Buddhist or Chinese Tibetan or Buddhist or Japanese teacher who has a thousand followers should be called a living Buddha or a little Buddha. So anyway, I, I don't want to get into the politic politics of the degradation of Buddha, Buddhism um, that happened as predicted by Buddha. Atama, a thousand years after or from 500 AD to now but the fall of Buddhism or the fall of, you know, some fall I mean, so much so that in from what I know, I mean, I'm not a Buddhist scholar somebody can uh, criticize if you like, but from what I know, <laughs> there's a book called The Red Thread, a uh, guy who's a Japanophile, Nipponphile uh, uh, Westerner writing about um, sexuality in Japanese Buddhism. 
some book. It's very well done. Talking about uh, how a few hundred years ago it was common practice for um, Japanese elder monks to have little boy attendants with whom sexual with whom they were sexual. Same thing in Tibet. And so we see lots of Tibetan Buddhist scandals, lots of Japanese Buddhist scandals, and uh, Chinese Buddhism also has its own issues, though they're quite ethical. So not <laughs> the, the the main line, not not the individual living Buddhas, but who call themselves such and then mind control people. But every single one of the religions on earth has fallen akin to the Brahmins falling from their golden age. And that fall is absolutely akin to the fall of an individual or a being in, let's say, third density, because this is where we're veiled, this is where beings uh, prepare or make the negative seeding leading to rebirth in lower realms or the states of woe, the three lower being hungry ghost, wandering, uh, hell realm, suffering, and animal rebirth. Animal rebirth in 2D bodies, I think, is not so common. Maldek certainly got it, according to Ra. And you can see what would lead to that for the collective, meaning the lowest of the lower zones being reborn in the womb of an ass, or for them, the womb of a gorilla. Um, It's a pretty serious matter. (laughs) And uh, I think it's extremely rare, but uh, I, you know, you know, in accord with the raw material, I presume it happened um, to the Maldek souls from their not of fear coming into the Bigfoot bodies here and all that. Um, but particularly, states of woe or the two lower rebirth conditions are hungry ghost Petta uh, and hell uh, Niraya, and so. Um, hell is associated with aversion or anger or hatred or violence or rage mind and hungry ghost is associated with greed or grasping or insatiable hunger uh, sensual hunger or hunger for human 3D experience um, with a very darkened mind (laughs) and so that is an individual who's fallen akin to the religion that falls and that happens uh, within the individual by the mind process leading to distortion. So, looking at the sutta, how the Brahmins fell from a golden age, um, extrapolating, um, we can understand how um, some of the principles by which human religions over the millennia have fallen to. And then, too, how an individual goes from well-being to mental illness, or mental health issues, or lower triad blockage, leading to, potentially, rebirth in hell or as a hungry ghost. Um, And so, the Brahmin story is not essentially different than the story of all the major religions or any religious spiritual grouping falling, when they do, they don't always, but when they do, most of them, (laughs) all of them have here. Uh, and that's um, a collective manifestation of how the individual falls. And that is performed, that is established, or that occurs by way of the mind process, going from basically love light to lower triad blockage. So, (laughs) that's an important matter. Uh, And how did it happen then that these Brahmins fell? Well, Initially, Gautama said, they praised the holy life, they praised virtue, they were seeking knowledge, they were practicing for their own benefit. Now, uh, after they fell or in the fall, they also thought they were seeking their own benefit. It was just differently defined. (laughs) Uh, Initially, in the Golden Age, or when uh, any religion is staying true to the best principles of its founder. I mean, I'm not going to comment on all the peculiarities of every single religion, but at best, (laughs) the founder um, brings some good teaching. And then over the centuries, things degrade. Uh, And the goodness of the original teaching or... um, 
the innocence of a, of an individual being a child, an individual born and uh, as a child. And that's normally what happens, right? They're born as a baby, becoming a child. Um, has a certain um, natural radiant love light, a certain natural uh, access to higher self or higher dimensions or higher chakras by way of the simplicity of the mind complex. Here, the Brahmins were not so simple-minded, but they were very um, simple. <laughs> They're not simple-minded, but they their lifestyle was simple. They were seeking knowledge by way of study. They were seeking to know right conduct better or live in accord with right conduct. They were not seeking materially. They were seeking... Um, inner self-development. They were seeking up, in and up, not down and out. And that phrase, down and out, is so perfect metaphysically, uh, and it's converse, uh, in and up, as um, catchphrases for um, one way or the other. And I believe this is what I wanted to there was something that I found and then I lost and now I found it again <laughs> which is the normal way uh, Matthew 6 and so we have Brahmana Tamika Sutta and Matthew 6 Matthew 6 you mean what well there's a link uh, I wanna I think I might read some of that in a moment um, what Matthew 6 presents can be understood, or I understand it partly, meaning I understand it only partly, and I understand it as to some degree having a very direct bearing on the nature of uh, the fall of the Brahmins or any religion or any individual by their own mind process going from the way, the the inner up way uh, to the outer down way. If you're focused outside, you go down. If you're focused inside rightly, you go up. They're not mutually exclusive. But you cannot serve two masters. So Yeshua supposed to say in Matthew 6. And so initially, <laughs> before they fell, the Mormons, among other things, as I said, uh, were praising the holy life, they were seeking inwardly, they were seeking to be in harmony with right conduct, seeking universal knowledge about self and path and Godhead and creation and purpose, and their personal qualities were straightforward, mild, austere, composed, harmless, enduring. So conduct, harmless, their relational conduct or conduct in relation is harmless, more or less, or quite. Um, their personal way, their uh, solitary way was austere, meaning simple, meaning uh, the unnecessary is released. In, in relation, so relational conduct was also mild and straightforward. It's an interesting that this these qualities here in the middle of uh, the sutta, what the Brahmins, oh, the first wasp of the season, there we go. It's a two inch, a two inch bee, just flew across the uh, path across the window area. We have very big wasps here, and there he is again. How about that? He went to the other window. It's about two inches, about a two inch long bee, very fat fellow. Uh, maybe an ancient Brahmin uh, sending greeting. Um, there's a relational conduct and solitary conduct. There's the conduct of how I live my life when I'm alone. There's the conduct of how I am with you, or in relationship, or in dialogue, or in a group. Um, all of which, in the golden age, or in when they kept true to their original teaching, was of in and up focused within, seeking to go up. Up. Up means to higher densities, 
but it also means to live more fully in higher chakras. It doesn't mean to exclude the lower, but it means not get stuck in the lower. And the upper includes the lower. <laughs> it doesn't exclude the upper meaning sixth density, uh, sixth chakra, fourth, fifth, sixth chakra development. Truly, when it's right, um, includes freedom from lower triad blockage, of course, and that is inclusive. So, a being in sixth density has uh, full access to those first six chakras, you can say. A being who's balanced in, highly balanced in love wisdom, um, can also work with the emotional and the mental and the social and the uh, material, physical world pretty well. So, in terms of their uh, solitary conduct, uh, they were committed to virtue, they were austere, they were composed, and they were enduring. They had a sense that this is our way, we're going to stay with it. In terms of their relational conduct, they were harmless, they were mild, and they were straightforward. And so straightforward means uh, simple <laughs> and, and okay. Uh, but this is the way of in and up. Focused on the inner, doesn't mean exclusive, rejecting the outer, but focused on primarily the inner. Uh, prioritizing. <laughs> there, you have to have a one, if, if there is, there is a <clears throat> scalar activity, as the uh, observers will recognize, uh, meaning there's a scale. Meaning sometimes we have to say one, two, three. Meaning uh, we have to make choices, or we do have a scale of values. And so, what is number one, and what is number two, and what is number three? It's okay to, to acknowledge that. You can have a one, two, and a three, and a one without despising two and three. Um, <laughs> what I mean is, um, uh, one can develop, one can be focused or prioritize the inner without rejecting, neglecting, uh, excluding the outer. And so that's where they were coming from, and when they lost it, they became down and out. And the way they lost it um, was basically um, from a tiny seed. Uh, a perversion came among them, seeing little by little. So little by little, they're seeing um, the splendor of kings with their women, their chariots, their homes, their land, their possessions. Seeing all that doesn't change the mind, or seeing all, well, seeing all that is a change of mind, but seeing all that doesn't necessarily make a fall. But what happened was a, this perversion. Perversion means a turning away. A turning away from the old ways from their um, prior teaching, turning away from the prioritization of the inner for the upper, the inner that goes up. And they became jealous. They had envy. And the little seed of jealousy and envy grew and grew and grew. And then they commanded the king to sacrifice. And they the kings then sacrificed. Oh, this, this term, they went up to Okaka, Okaka, Actually, it was a king at the time. Uh, they in they induced they rewrote the religion and induced the king to do sacrifice of horses and humans and cows. So there was a lot of killing, and when there was the deeper fall, it was huge killing of cows, particularly. Uh, so that's uh, they had <laughs> that 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 makes their fall. But it starts from a very little seed. It's a bad seed. The bad seed here was envy and jealousy. Uh, oh, now we have a long um, lizard on the branch of the big leaf, big tree outside my window, about right outside. Oh, he just jumped to another one. So today is very warm here, so a lot of creatures have, uh, are moving, all, moving around, kind of shaking off the winter chill. So um, from a little seed of envy, jealousy, um, they prioritized the outer and went down, and went then down and out. 
became a down-and-out group. Down-and-out in Paris and London. This was down-and-out in ancient India. Uh, now we have down-and-out on planet Earth. <laughs> that somebody should write that book, some wonder. Down-and-out on planet Earth. Uh, so they did lots... They encouraged the king to do a lot of sacrifice, which means a lot of killing. And that lead to all sorts of serious problems. Uh, and I want to get into the detail of where they really got into problem or how that was hard, the, the, some of the metaphysics of um, bad karma, the metaphysics um, that support rebirth in a lower dimension <laughs> that leads to the unfortunate condition of rebirth as a hungry ghost or a hell realm. And it's ultimately um, not learning Matthew 6. So I sent the link. I'll read the whole thing. It's really quite beautiful. It's um, New England, New NIV, the NIV version. New interlinear verse or something. I'm not sure what it is, but NIV version of the translation. So Matthew 6 here has 34 stanzas, you could say. And... Um, uh, going against the teaching of Matthew 6 is akin to the Brahmins making their fall, is akin to uh, allowing the, a tiny, the tiny seed of a thought, of a single thought of envy. I wish I had what he has. It's not right he has, I don't. I need what he has, he, she. I need, it's not right that I don't have I should have, I deserve. Uh, and this comes from some, this is associated certainly with the sense that the outer is number one. And so we'll see this in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 1, and I'll just read it through. Quote, Be careful not to do your, quote, acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, let me just say, I don't agree with everything here, okay? But I'll read it for your consideration. So, number one, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Quote, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the note is that uh, some translations have evil. So deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one, meaning from Satan, Lucifer, or from temptation. Going on. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, 
who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness! No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not row, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life, or a single cubit to his height? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> so, lots of, uh, most of this I uh, would say I totally agree with, but not all. Number one, you can see, interestingly, how Right from the earliest time, um, presumably, um, uh, karma is understood as a reward-punishment paradigm. Do this, get reward. Do that, get punishment. Um, this has infected Western peoples and actually all global peoples' understanding of karmic operation, unfortunately. Yes, karmic operation is akin to reward and punishment, but not... not necessarily by somebody who uh, being a father who rewards who, who wants to um, who, who you know what is the essence of reward and punishment versus the lawful operation of karmic law karmic principle by which what you give is what you'll get well reward sort of has this anthropomorphic quality that someone's doing the rewarding or the punishing. My father. Or God. And um, it's sort of, um, um, in a subtle way, embraces um, a, a sort of personalize. Uh, it's a sort of personalizing universal law. I mean, one can say that, that even the term father and God is our anthropomorphic, anthropomorphizing personalizations of reality or creator or creation um, that is transhuman, is is completely beyond human. And so don't make a big deal out of being human. It's a real conceit to think that human is uh, the crown of creation or something. Um, the human is one form. It's one stage in the path. It's critical, but it's not uh, it's not its source. <laughs> human is not God. Human is a created version uh, and a vehicle for path. But uh, here we see the clearly reward and punishment. What the Brahmins were doing was first seeking the kingdom and his righteousness. That's the point. Seeking knowledge and conduct is seeking the kingdom and righteousness. Boom. And so... 
ethical conduct is called righteousness. Seeking conduct means seeking right action, right speech, right livelihood, the right ways of living. I mean, you don't you don't have to. They're basically seeking to live in conformity with them, with righteousness, with you know coming down in Buddhism as uh, right right speech, right action, right livelihood, which in Hinduism is called yama niyama, what should be done, what shouldn't be done. Same. That's seeking righteousness. Seeking the kingdom is seeking knowledge, is seeking gnosis, is seeking realization. Not the same as seeking release, actually. And so the uh, teachers that Gautama went to, uh, that taught him the higher jhanas, um, showed, provided by their training, knowledge of the higher dimensional states of mind and a greater knowledge of reality. Um, excuse me. That that led to um, Gautama going off on his own, finding that which um, is no is is not born, finding the deathless, finding um, Nirvana, of course, complete perfect enlightenment, being that which. Um, doesn't arise and pass away. And that's the main point. There's no dukkha, there's no anicca in nirvana. And there is dukkha and anicca and anatta in those higher states that were the summit of their teaching, which could be uh, understood as um, higher levels of the kingdom or knowledge. But the point here is that the Brahmins fell away from ethical conduct, yama niyama, they fell away from seeking knowledge of the kingdom. They fell away from seeking um, to know uh, creation intimately uh, and um, develop um, the inward, develop the inner, because they um, allowed the seed of envy and jealousy and greed to grow. And then they put that into practice, changed their religion, uh, instructed and mm, induced the king to do massive sacrifice. And then the law of karma continued, <laughs> or the law of karma took over to some degree. And um, they went through a massive fall. And the division here is um, down and out or in and up. If you go, if you prioritize the outer, you'll go down. If you prioritize the inner, you'll go up. If it's done in the right way, so right um, spiritual focus, right seeking, right spiritual seeking is prioritizing or most highly valuing the inner, or valuing the inner above the outer, because you can't put. There is only one number one. And it's either inner or outer. And that's exactly what Matthew 6 is all about. Um, don't do acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. <laughs> don't give to the needy so that others honor you and see you. When you're praying, don't do it in public, do it in private, be alone. Uh, this is... Um, and, and this is a critical um, division... And that's um, that. The, the if if we do our spirituality uh, for others, uh, for others' observation or, or approval or admiration or just in public, actually, <laughs> there's something hypocritical and actually crude and lowly and unseemly about it. Going out to the event. Uh, you know, wearing robes when you don't need to, changing your name when you don't need to, uh, making a big deal that I want people to see me, I want you to see my holiness. Um, that's not a hell of a lot better, if any, than uh, I want all the big stuff that the ruling class has too. This is a, an attachment to praise and honor, an attachment to others' opinion. And it's ultimately an overvaluation of the outer that leads, that goes to the, that goes down, 
rather than a valuation, a higher valuation of the inner that goes up. And so the, the point is that um, virtue uh, performed um, with a motivation to gain praise and honor. So virtue or morality or goodness or spirituality from a somewhat, I would say, a greedy, confused, uh, ambitious motive. The uh, pollution <laughs> of motivation being, I, I want others' opinion, I want their praise. I want you to see how good I am. I want those upvotes. I want <laughs> uh, social recognition. I want uh, to be leading lots of people. All that stuff is the way of uh, the way of downfall, the way that leads to downfall. And so, uh, virtuous conduct or righteousness is essential. Um, meanwhile, uh, as much as possible, uh, it's uh, done privately, or it's done low profile. And so, those that uh, give to the needy announcing it with trumpets are called hypocrites. Um, and the other point that's commonly said is, uh, I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. For, for, for those, um, or when we, <laughs> but for those and when we uh, do, do virtue um, from a partially selfish intention. Uh, what happens, uh, what, what comes immediately in the physical world is the whole of the reward, or the bulk of the reward, or the bulk of the benefit, the bulk of the benefit, karmically, comes um, simply in the physical world right with the performance, which is totally different than a long-term benefit of, of a future, um, long-term and future benefit. This is short-term and material benefit. So if your motive is materialistic or self-centered or selfish, to the degree our motives are selfish, materialistic, social, meaning I want you to see, so the motives for, for performance of virtue or ethical conduct, to the degree they're selfish, self-serving, of envy, of, of jealousy, of seeking attention, admiration. To just that extent, the reward or the anything positive that may come out of it is also physical <laughs> and social and of this lifetime. And that's it. They receive their reward in full uh, because there's no great karmic benefit to that type of performance of virtue. Meanwhile, <laughs> everything uh, you do in private is seen by God, but not not even, not not needing even the Father to reward me. Um, what's done in private, because we're not seeking public uh, benefit, we're not seeking a benefit from human. We're seeking a benefit from creation. <laughs> we're seeking spiritual, metaphysical benefit, not social, public, interpersonal benefit, not monetary benefit, not my reputation. I'm not going to put my name on the library uh, so everybody knows I gave the money. When the seeking is in private, or if you're seeking the greater reward or the greater benefit to your own term, long-term welfare and benefit, it's not done for human it's done because it's my way, and it's generally done alone. And that's the difference between uh, the benefit that comes from right renunciation versus the benefit that comes from um, right and confused, both right and both right and confused public service. There's right public service, obviously, that's wonderful more meaning public service, where the server is not attached to uh, others' opinion. I'm not doing it um, 
for your uh, praise <laughs> or my honor. I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do and I want to do it. And it just so happens to be public and so be it. It's very different. Meanwhile, there's wrong or there's uh, unhelpful, <laughs> unskillful public service. Public meaning interpersonal or collective service that's seen because uh, it's relational or collective. There's right and wrong, which really means skillful and unskillful, which really means helpful, supportive of our long-term welfare and benefit and not. And um, seeking transformation in and of itself for mm, for my own welfare is not selfish. If somebody needs your help and you're saying, fuck off, I want to help myself, that's selfish. <laughs> if the house is burning down and you uh, want to sit in your samadhi rather than help put it out, that's selfish. So if there's a calling and you don't, if there's a right calling, a true calling, and we reject response, that's selfish. But otherwise, uh, helping your own spiritual transformation is not selfish. Selfish is putting others down to get up, taking from others to give to yourself. Uh, lying and cheating and stealing and physical harming and tricking, that's selfish. <laughs> wrong speech, wrong livelihood, wrong action, that's all selfish. But helping yourself is not selfish. It's self-helping. <laughs> that's not selfish. But, you know, some people are confused on that, it seems. So, um... Uh, I'm going to have to wrap this up even though I can yak yak long long um, to the extent that you, you know uh, to, to the extent that that virtue is performed or service is offered with selfish intention seeking praise and honor you're a hypocrite <laughs> so says Matthew 6 uh and it actually associates with a lack of trust and faith in God and path and creation. Um, it takes a whole lot of trust and faith that I can be benefited greatly uh, for one to go into one's room and go apart from society and renounce and go alone to do one's seeking of uh, conduct and knowledge. Um, the Brahmins of the Golden Age had faith in themselves. They had faith in creation. They had faith in the law, the law of karma. They had faith that they were doing the right thing, living mild and austere and straightforward and simple and non-materialistic and non-grasping and uh, detached from um, getting stuff from humans. They were not getting stuff from humans. They were getting stuff from God. Um... Uh, in Tao Te Ching <clears throat> somewhere there is some kind of there is one of the chapters saying uh, other, something paraphrased very loosely um, uh, others are so cheerful and bright and I alone look like a look like a loser <laughs> I alone look like a schlump schlump is a special word in Chinese and um, <clears throat> I alone seem to be drifting and pointless and uh, directionless and failing uh, while they're also bright and clear and sharp and strong and together what what's but what's really different is that I turn only to the mother for nourishment I only uh, I turn only to the Tao um, for my for my support and <laughs> that's interesting and that's very much akin to the uh, the righteous path um, that's very much associated with renunciation or separating oneself from the affairs of man. And um, that's what was that way was of the golden age for the Brahmins. And uh, the last point, oh, I could do a third hour, but I won't. The last point I just want to say is the the metaphysics of a fall, and this also pertains 
uh, to the individual and uh, their mind process leading to rebirth in lower realms, that's a rebirth metaphysic, but there's a basis for it intermediate between that rebirth, that woeful state rebirth, or the condition of a world um, if further destroying, further harming itself, like we see today in the world. Lots of social conflict, lots of mental illness, lots of um, suicidality in the West, uh, lots of struggle and strife. What What's also happening is <laughs> uh, higher dimensional benevolent beings are watching. Then the devas, the fathers, Indra and the Rakshasas cried out, and injustice when the knife fell on the cows. And so the cows were meek like sheep, giving milk by the bucket. They hadn't with their hooves or horns or anything else done anyone any harm. But the king, grabbing them by the horns, killed them with a knife. And higher dimensional benevolent beings are are un, unhappy to see it. They know it's an injustice. Now, at a high level, this is a very interesting point, I can't get into it much, but even though those cows, you can say it was their karma to be killed, and maybe in soul evolutionary terms, like Bailey may have said, uh, slaughter uh, was comparable to, me- to domestication, or by that harm, while they were innocent, they also um, had some spiritual individuating process going on. Uh, there seems to be a Skype problem, but uh, it'll go away soon. Please have faith. Uh, even though from a certain level one can say it was all karmically perfect that they were slaughtered, and perhaps even one can agree with Bailey, I'm not sure, uh, with the idea that even that harmful, painful, frightful experience of slaughter was uh, or is metaphysically supportive to um, their evolution to third density. Still, they were innocent. And in a way, you have to treat beings as they appear, not only um, as... um, Well, you have to treat them as they appear. (laughs) An innocent deserves a different treatment than a scoundrel. (laughs) A liar and a scoundrel and a fraudster deserves different treatment than an innocent. But I'm not saying anybody deserves killing. I'm saying they deserve different treatment. Even though, at a certain understanding of karma, everything is perfect. Any way you treat them is just how they deserve to be treated. And, (laughs) if we treat them in a certain way, we're making negative karma and planting harmful seeds for ourselves. Uh, aside from that very lofty discussion of um, principles of karmic operation and right action, um, they were innocent in that lifetime and not appropriately treated by slaughter. And the real harm is not to the cow. The real harm is to the slaughterer. And the real harm is very much associated with higher dimensional positive beings and negative beings watching it. Negative beings come closer, and positive beings go away. Mm. You can absolutely lose um, an individual mandate of heaven, not the collective or Chinese kingly mandate of heaven, an individual sort of quasi-mandate of heaven, meaning equality of relationships with higher benevolent beings because of wrong action. One can get into certain patterns of mind and activity, by which higher dimensional beings naturally pull away from you. Positive, higher dimensional benevolent beings, your whole soul group, your family, pulls away from you because you're toxic. Not you, your listener, but one can become toxic. One can become so toxic, metaphysically, that one's own family leaves temporarily. It quarantines you apart from that, from them. And so... The devas, the rakshasas, Indra, the good guys upstairs, uh, cried out and uh, uh, departed, moved further back. And the result of that is 
less or negligible spiritual protection. And that's and and in the individual course that leads to um, no one upstairs on your side saying don't send them to hell. They don't say it. They say go <laughs> because you're toxic or you smell and uh, metaphysically and it's better for that soul who is part of a higher dimensional positive group to go through hell or hungry ghosts for a while because they gotta get rid of they gotta detox so rebirth in a lower realm as a metaphysical detox for the soul that has fallen internally fall into blockage and lower chakras, lower chakras fallen from the green blue indigo to lower triad blockage by way of um, allowing little seeds of envy, jealousy, greed, ambition to grow and therefore going uh, away from uh, the principles that lead to long-term welfare and benefit and they go and then one has to fall and then one gets up and uh, generally gets it together and comes back home so um and the final point is um, this injustice of violence has come down as ancient um, sacrifice of humans and animals is wrong action known long long ago known known for a long long time the innocent are killed and the sacrificers fall away from dhamma they fall away from green blue indigo they fall into lower zones lower realms and um, have much more pain to come. And society falls apart too when uh, the Brahmins uh, acted this way or when a religion falls, it hurts the whole society. Hmm. The, the, was there some degradation of Tibetan Buddhism associated with a, as a karmic basis for what happened in the late 50s with the Chinese invasion? Was there some degradation of Japanese Buddhism over the centuries that had something to do with their the 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 harm done to Japan as a result of their you know activity in World War II, atomic blasts and fire bombings and terrible things that happened there? Could that have something to do with the fall of uh, Buddhism in Japan, like the fall of Tibet and the fall of Vajrayana? Mm -mm -mm. Maybe so. How about the fall of Chinese Buddhism and the communist? massacres of the 20th century the the harm done to China in the 20th century by itself and by foreign powers um, have something to do with the fall of Mahayana Buddhism could be could be how about the fall of Buddhism in India India don't look too too good now I mean they're trying to get together but they fell pretty far too hmm so <laughs> um, they critic when people see such a thing they criticize the sacrificer and then the Dhamma perishes, merchants and workers are split, warriors also split, wife despises her husband, um, and everyone falls under the sway of greed and ambition and um, sensual obsession and their minds degrade and uh, illness, <laughs> you know, it's the... The uh, reward of the wicked comes to the whole society. Um, and that's how nations and peoples and individuals fall. So, <laughs> even though I could talk on endlessly, I will have to put it away for now. Um, there ends a discussion of uh, Brahmana, Tamika Sutta, and uh, Matthew 6. And I hope it was interesting. I hope you're well. Next week we'll pick up with the next sutta. Take good care of yourselves. See you next time and good night.